Imagine a world in which data sharing is strictly regulated and rationed per person. Everyone gets the equivalent of a small 3G plan from the mid 2000s. No more long nights spent binging TV series. No more vlogs, Insta stories, cute filters, or FaceTime. To get around, you have to stop and ask a stranger, or even figure out how to read a map on paper. The result: millennials fall into a deep depression. Well, some are happy about it, especially the ones who like to go to concerts. Now they can enjoy a clear view of the stage without having to look over a sea of phones all recording the same thing. This post-digital world was dreamed up by a journalist in a fictional article published recently in La Croix. Her story takes us on a quantum leap into the year 2030. The Green Party has been in power for three years after they were elected on a simple campaign promise. To lower people's energy bills, but to make good on this promise, they have to close 20% of all data centers within five years. But do we really have to give up our screens in order to become more environmentally responsible? Orange presents the memo. Hello, everyone, and hello, Chloe. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the memo, the podcast that breaks down the latest news in digital. Today we're talking about the environmental impact of digital technologies, and the first thing we have to do is acknowledge the problem. What do you think, Chloe? Yes, most of the time we don't even realize that what we do online has an impact on the environment. In fact, we are often much more likely to assume just the opposite, because everything is paperless and virtual. We don't watch DVDs anymore. We open Netflix. We don't listen to CDs. We stream music online. But just because these things are virtual does not mean that they have completely vanished. Our TV series are no longer stored as DVDs, but instead as data in massive data centers that are connected to us by underwater cables. But when you're sitting on the couch or working at your desk, you don't see that side of things. Not at all. And in La Croix, the CNRS engineer Françoise Bertou compares the internet to electricity. It seems perfectly natural to everyone. She is one of many scientists calling for action to make the internet more resilient, more localized, and to put an end to making hardware that goes obsolete too quickly. So, what exactly happens when we, for example, watch an episode of a show on a streaming platform? You can read through all the nitty-gritty details on the U.S.-based website called High Scalability, which conducted the report. It's impressive. In short, Netflix's biggest problem is figuring out how to deliver the same continuous service to all its customers who are scattered across every continent. So Netflix said, "No problem. We'll just duplicate our architecture three times across three world regions. Then, every time you want to sit down and watch a show or movie, the file goes through a long process, and the most complicated step is transcoding. That's what makes the video file playable on every platform." And for that task, Netflix can have up to three hundred thousand processors working at the same time. And I suppose that doesn't even include its browsing data. That's right. Netflix saves the browsing history of its one hundred and fifty-eight million customers, so it can personalize the platform for each viewer and suggest new series or movies that are similar to the ones they've already watched. And that requires a massive amount of energy. And just how much energy do these data centers use? Two hundred terawatt hours. That's what I read in the American science magazine Nature. It may not mean much to you, but it's more energy than a country like Iran uses. At the same time, it's still less than half of the energy used by the global transportation industry. 
In fact, the real problem is actually tied to the increase in uses. As a result, energy use may climb by as much as 20% by 2030. And to meet that need, we will have to find some real solutions. Do we have any leads? Yes, and we have already made some important progress. The first step was creating giant data centers with better performance so that for the same data volume, they are now using less energy. Next, we are starting to see more automated systems. The most resilient data centers manage to keep their processors running at maximum capacity. That way, they can run fewer processors and shut down the rest. On top of that, processor capacity is actually doubling every two and a half years while maintaining the same energy use. The next question is how to keep all of this cool, because for now, we're mainly using water. And then there's code, which can use up a lot of energy. Yes, that's the idea behind bloatware, a new made-up term that describes software or applications that are too large or complex and that gobble up resources outside of the system. Databases, APIs, remote servers, and for that reason, they tend to monopolize the machine's processing power. And often that energy is used for no good reason. That's true. And one figure that really struck me comes from Françoise Berthoud, the engineer I mentioned earlier. She explains that on average, our phones run about 35 apps on a constant basis. So not only are they more and more complex, offering more and more functionalities by default, but they also keep running them all the time. What she proposes is to develop algorithms that can regulate the energy used by these apps. And that would also help improve the obsolescence cycle for these devices. Because these days we're always buying newer devices, which constantly need updating. That's right, every two years on average for smartphones. That represents an immense amount of energy, not to mention their manufacture, or extracting the rare metals they need. Only 18% are reused in Europe. But brands are thinking about solutions to tackle the issue. One example is the Fairphone in the Netherlands. Nearly every part of the phone is replaceable, so you have no excuses. You don't actually need to change phones anymore. Thank you, Chloe, and thanks to everyone for listening. You can find links to all the articles we mentioned in the episode description. Until next time for a new episode of The Memo. You are listening to The Memo, an orange podcast.